The following message was preached from the pulpit of Bible Baptist Church, Oak Harbor, Washington. The book of Exodus concludes with the completion of the tabernacle. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the t- congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And then you look in your Bible, and you see the book of Leviticus. It's the same reaction I got earlier today. (laughs) Leviticus. Let me ask you this. Uh, all means all, and that's all all means. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Would that include the book of Leviticus? Amen. Amen. If you had to define it in one word or maybe three words that are the same word in a hymn that we just sang, how would you define the book of Leviticus? Holy, holy, holy. I would summarize it if you took it beyond just one word as God saying, I am holy. So you be holy. And he says that repeatedly throughout the book. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Chapter 11 and verse 45, also the beginning of chapter 19. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, Am holy. The next chapter, 20 and verse 26, And ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and have severed you from other people, that ye should be mine. Wait a minute, is he just talking to Israel? They're separate, sanctified, holy. They should be holy because God's holy. What about us? Well, thanks for asking. The Holy Spirit moved Peter to take those thoughts, really quote from those passages, in the New Testament, and apply it to you and I. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy, In all manner of conversation, because it is written. Where is it written? All those different places in the book of Leviticus. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Well, Peter's kind of weird that he would be quoting from Leviticus, but we want to stay away from that book. No, we don't. Uh, No, we don't. Um, God says, I'm holy, so be ye holy. And then the rest of the book of Leviticus is, here's how to be holy. Why would we take a book like that and say, I don't want to be holy. I don't want anything to do with that book. And we don't, but but it's interesting, the attitude when we get through Exodus. And there it is, staring us in the face. And we say, ah, I'm going to be reading Leviticus next. The first seven chapters, the holy offerings. Then chapters 8 through 10, the holy priesthood. Chapter 11, we might like that one, holy food as Baptists. Chapter 12, holy childbirth. And then we get to... Two really long chapters, 13 and 14. Now, just by chapter count, 
two of the 27 chapters, it would only be 7% of the book. But if you look at the actual English words that are in those two chapters, they comprise twice that, over 14% of the entire book of Leviticus. Holy bodies, holy skin, holy clothing, holy houses. It's all dealing with leprosy. And as a preacher friend recently pointed out to me, that's the largest focus, the largest topic that's in the entire book of Leviticus, leprosy. So God must want us to know something about leprosy. It starts off this way in in chapter 13, the opening few verses, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man shall have in the skin of his flesh a rising, a scab, or bright spot, and it be in the skin of his flesh like the plague of leprosy, then he shall be brought unto Aaron the priest, or unto one of his sons the priests. And the priest shall look on the plague in the skin of the flesh, and when the hair in the plague is turned white, and the plague in sight be deeper than the skin of his flesh, it is a plague of leprosy. And the priest shall look on him and pronounce him unclean. And then you continue, and you continue, and you continue. I don't know, you know, if you're looking how your Bible is laid out, how big your font is, but it goes quite a while before you ever get to chapter 14. And then you turn a page in my Bible, and there's column, 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 fourth column of chapter 14. I turn the page. I finally see the end. It's in sight of chapter 14, the the conclusion of this uh, lengthy section on Leprosy, and it finishes up this way. Uh, Pick up with me in verse 54 of chapter 14. This is the law for all manner of plague of leprosy and skull, and for the leprosy of a garment and of a house, and for a rising, and for a scab, and for a bright spot. Why? Why do we have to read so much in the book of Leviticus about leprosy? To teach when it is unclean, And when it is clean, this is the law of leprosy. And so the the title tonight, no clickbait here. No one's going to see this on the internet, on our YouTube channel, and say, I want to listen to that message. But the title is simply the law of leprosy. And why is it there? To teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. Pretty straightforward Although not too interesting or not too exciting to think about, pretty straightforward, the interpretation of what's being talked about here, an actual disease and how to stop the spread of disease in massive encampments of not just tens, but hundreds of thousands of people living close together. And there's uh, other instruction in, in the law of Moses as they were going to be encamped together, these ma- this massive a nation of Israelites. In, in Deuteronomy 23, for example, you don't just take care of business and, and, and leave it laying around. You carry a shovel with you and you dig a latrine and you do your business and you cover it up. Why? Because we don't want everyone to get sick. You know, uh, just plain physically, health-wise, more died in the Revolutionary War from disease than from battle. And I I didn't look up, maybe that's the case in Civil War, although we killed a lot of people uh, shooting at each other in in the Civil War. 
But this was true in the Revolutionary, uh, Revolutionary War due to poor sanitation and the soldiers' vulnerability to infectious diseases such as smallpox. And the first president experimented with inoculating people for smallpox, but then they were dying of, of other diseases that we see in many other wars before modern sanitation, especially dysentery and, and typhus. And I remember reading maybe in the book 1776 in, at the siege of Boston and um, Bunker Hill and Breed's Hill and, and George Washington's forces being there and how many people were dying just because they didn't read some basic sanitation things that are right here in the Old Testament in, in the Pentateuch. But there's more here, obviously, than just uh, the physical. Uh, and there are some cases of uh, leprosy even in the U.S. today. I think it was down in Florida I was, as I was reading about that online. But uh, spiritually, spiritually, uh, holy God did not just desire the people to not die off from poor sanitation. As a holy God, he had no desire to walk in the midst of an unclean camp, physically and spiritually. And leprosy certainly has many parallels to sin in its examination and spread and effects and diagnosis and the treatments. And as I was reading a bit about uh, leprosy, I was reading about the damage that it does to nerves. So what happens if you don't have nerves to tell you when you're doing something that is harming your body by, ouch, the pain? Well, it, it takes away that mechanism. And so if, if you have leprosy and it gets to the point of damaging your nerves and you stick your finger in a fire and you're not looking until you look and then you say, oh, I wish my finger would have told me that it hurt. Now I burned my finger and it, it's charred and maybe falling off. Well, uh, there's certainly a parallel there with sin in our body and in our conscience and the Holy Spirit and these spiritual nerves that God has developed within us. So we stick our fingers spiritually in a fire. We do something spiritually, something sinful, and, it, and there is a feedback mechanism to tell us, hey, that's hurting you spiritually. Stop that. And what if We've gotten to the point where those nerves are damaged. Or as the, the Holy Spirit says, Paul writing to Timothy, uh, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Well, how does that happen? Well, in the latter time, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. And that's going to lead to this cauterization of, of the sensitivity to sin, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, First Timothy 4, the opening uh, two verses. So a lot, of, a lot of parallels, and if you have some sort of study Bible or if you study the, t the topic, uh, there are plenty of commentators that will tell you why leprosy is a picture of, of sin, and certainly we see plenty of parallels there. Well, a great uh, prophet, I believe, we'll see tonight in uh, simply making some observations of these two chapters as related to leprosy, uh, making applications unto, to sin in our, our lives. Uh, the sin, like leprosy, that starts within and that manifests itself outwardly. And the, the first section of the, the message, which is going to be the examination, I, I was thinking this afternoon, as I was going over my notes, that this, this would be good because we're only about four weeks out, about a month out from the Lord's table. And what is part of the preparation for the Lord's table, not just that night, but leading up to it, is self-examination. 
uh, there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and, and verse 28. So there's, uh, there's an application of the message tonight, I believe, that will kind of guide us forward in the next four weeks or so as well. So the, the title again, The Law of Leprosy, broken down in these four parts. And this is simply reading through this section. Uh, not getting to chapter, beginning of chapter thir- 13, seeing the topic and jumping up and down in, in my, my, uh, my prayer closet, so to speak, which is just a chair in my bedroom in, in the morning. But as I read it, I, I did find myself saying, well, that's repeated again and again and again and again and again. And I just started looking at some of the things that repeated themselves, saying, well, there's God's you know, volume control. He's making it louder and louder, saying the same things over and over. And it kind of fell out in these four areas. Examination, determination, proclamation, and then regulation. If you're taking notes, examination, of the priest shall look. Then determination, determination if it's spreading or not. A proclamation, clean or unclean. And then the regulation at the end. What are the things we are to do if we find ourselves pronounced unclean because of the spread of leprosy again. And, and we're going to make application as we go along. Uh, I think we understand just the physical historical aspect of this, so I don't have to keep telling you that's the interpretation. Uh, we are making applications for ourselves, learning as we go, profiting from this book that I believe is very, very practical. Leviticus is not a book to avoid. It's not a book just to endure. It's not a book, oh, I have to read it because it's on my, my list. It's part of the word of God and it's profitable for us. I believe we'll profit tonight. The examination, the first part, this phrase over and over again, the priest shall look. The priest shall look. The priest shall look. The priest shall look. And if you didn't catch it the first 14 times, he says it again. The priest shall look. Who is the priest? Well, that's easy. There's a priest over there. Pastor Sergeant, there's a priest up. No, 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 no. (laughs) A priest is just that. And the Old Testament stays in the Old Testament. He doesn't come into the New Testament. We don't believe in replacement theology. We don't believe in supersessionism uh, that would say the so-called Christian church has superseded Israel, assuming the role of God's covenanted people, whereby... Priests have become pastors, or pastors have have replaced the priests, and baptism has replaced circumcision. No, Israel is Israel, and the New Testament church is the New Testament church. Uh, Paul, writing to the Corinthians, distinguished the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church of God. There are far too many unfulfilled prophecies related to Israel in the Old Testament to say that Israel does not exist. If Israel does not exist, God is a liar or at least the prophets that he wrote through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. They're all a bunch of liars if Israel does not exist. And Paul certainly wrote about his his brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, the beginning of Romans chapter 9, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises Whose are the fathers, and of whom is concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all. God bless forever. Amen. So I'm not a priest. Pastor Sargent is not 
a priest. But the priest shall look, the priest shall look, the priest shall look, the priest shall look. Well, who is the priest? You are. (laughs) You are. Somewhere on our statement of faith on our website, it probably says something about us believing in the Bible teaching the priesthood of, of believers. And that would, in, in part, to, uh, just it's straight Bible teaching that we agree with. In part, it would be to refute uh, this replacement theology or supersessionism as, as opposed to what we believe the Bible teaches. Again, Jews, Gentiles, Church of God, Israel still exists. Uh, that's a dispensationalism, which can be unbalanced and can be unbiblical as well if it is carried to an extreme and the teaching different types of salvation and different dispensations. We don't believe that. But we do believe priests, Old Testament, and in the New Testament, you, who are born again, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, are priests. Jesus Christ, of course, being our great high priest. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the priest that sits behind a curtain at the Catholic Church in town. No, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5. And we have this great high priest that is passed into the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, and because of that, we're to hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. There in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, so he's the great high priest, but we are priests as well. How can that be? The, the, The high priest in the Old Testament was the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies. How can we be a priest and and go and communicate with with God and go to this throne of of grace that has a mercy seat on it? How can we get in there? I thought there was this big temple veil that divided the holy from the holiest of, of holies. Well, that temple veil, as you know from the New Testament, as Christ completed his atoning work on the cross, was rent in twain from top to bottom. Signifying what? That you can be a priest and you can go into the holiest of holies and find grace to help in time of, of need. Um, revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ tells us in chapter 1, verse 5 and 6 that Jesus Christ hath made us, hath made, think of the tense there, us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Do I understand everything that that statement says? No, I don't, other than the, the tense that is not yet, not future. Oh, and in the millennium, there'll be some aspect of us being a priest. It's, it's present tense. And, and Peter, again, is moved to the Holy Spirit, First Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, to talk of this priesthood of the believers. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So a priest spoke to God and a priest offered sacrifices to God. We can do both of those things. Well, what are these spiritual sacrifices that we, as the priesthood of believers, are, are to offer unto, unto God? Well, recently there was preaching in Romans chapter 12. Our bodies... Uh, being a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Our bodies, our lives, our transformed minds, our praise, our thanksgiving, these are sacrifices unto the Lord, our well-doing by him therefore, Hebrews 13, verse 15 and 16, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God 
continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. The priest shall look. The priest shall look. The priest shall look. So if you're the priest, how are you to look? This is about an examination. Well, two parts. First, on your own, if you look, you're probably going to say, I'm pretty good. I don't see any sin. Uh, Why? Because your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so maybe we need to ask for help how to examine ourselves. Because on our own, we won't do a very good examination. Search me, O God. And know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, Uh uh-oh, and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Again, we need to pray this prayer from Psalm 139 at, at the end because self, our heart, our soul, our thoughts, our emotions, our mind, it's all deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, not us, but him. Uh, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Jeremiah 17, 9 and verse 10, which answers the question at the end of of verse 9. So if you are a priest, and it says over and over again, the priest shall look, the priest shall look, the priest shall look. We ask God for help in that searching examination, and then what do we do? Search me, O God, and and know my heart. Try me. Search me. Examine me. Now I'm going to hike up to the top of Mount Erie, and I'll sit on the highest point, and I'll cross my legs, and I'm going to, I'm going to, whatever. I don't even know who does that sort of thing. And I'll just meditate and wait for God to tell me what what the sin is in my life. Uh, that's pretty silly, and especially me, because I wouldn't want to hike up there any, anymore. Uh, I bailed out when I was at E5. I didn't get to go through Chief's initiation, where you make those guys run up there, I think, a lot as, as part of Chief's season. Uh, no, so ABCs of Christian growth. D, daily walk. I talk to God in prayer. God talks back to me. He answers in his word. It's, it's so simple, and yet we sometimes forget it. So how do we do this examination as a priest? Request God's help and then read God's word. It's the spiritual scalpel for exploratory surgery. For the word of God is quick. And you know that means alive. And it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even, because if we do it by ourselves, we're not going to do this piercing. We're just going to do a surface casual look and say, ah, good to go. Uh, No, but when we get in the word of God, it does this piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Our our spiritual side and and our emotions and our thoughts and our decisions and, and of the joints and marrow. And it, the word of God, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, But all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13. Again, if we do the examination ourselves, apart from the word of God, it's not going to be like that. 
Uh, it says we're naked and open in, in the eyes of him with whom we have to do. But if we're doing the examination, we're trying to cover ourselves up and again and, and not get too deep in, inside. So we request God's help. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And then we read his word. That's the spiritual scalpel for exploratory surgery. And it's the looking glass for personal examination. James chapter 1, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, likening the word of God into a glass, a mirror, a, a looking glass. And we're not to look at it and just shriek and run away because it's so ugly in our sin, but we look at it and see what needs to be cleaned up. So, examination. The priest shall look. The priest shall look. That's you. You ask God to examine you, and then you read his word, and he responds. So examination, then there's a determination. Another word kept popping up over and over again in, in chapter 13 and in verse 14. Started underlining them, and when you do that, then, then it's like a game. Well, I, I can't skip one. Uh, the word spread or spreadeth. Um, uh, verse 6 of chapter 13, if the plague be somewhat dark and the plague spread. Verse 7, if the scab spread. Verse 8, if the priests see that behold the scab spreadeth. Uh, chapter 22, if it spread. Uh, verse 27, spread. 28, spread. Verse 30, well that's deeper, uh, deep and wide but not that kind of deep and wide. Uh, verse 31, And if the priest look on the plague of the skull, and behold, it be not in sight deeper. Oh, that's deeper again. Uh, verse 32, spread. 34, spread. 35, spread. Spread, spread, spread. And it's if. If it's spread. If it's spread. If it's spread. Over and over and over again. Well, what, what is it that it uh, that is or is not spreading? It's kind of ugly to think about. The, the plague, the scab, the skull, if it be spread. And the application spiritually would be the ugliness of sin. Now, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me, Paul wrote to the Romans uh, in the middle of chapter 7. Uh, Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me, by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Uh, just go read up on the internet about leprosy and find all the gross pictures and go, uh, and then make the spiritual application to sin in your life. For we know that the law is spiritual, and Paul says, But I am carnal, sold under sin, for that which I do I allow not, for what I would that do I not, but what I hate that do I. And it continues on in that vein, getting down to the end of chapter 7. So what is or is not spreading? In leprosy, the plague, the scab, the skull, our application, the ugliness of, of sin. And how do we do this determination of whether it's spreading or not? Is there a difference between I sinned and 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 I sinned? Have you sinned today? What was your attitude towards it? 
Was it the same sin that you sinned yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before? Or is it something that just showed up and you were just appalled by it? And a few years ago, probably many years ago by now, uh, Pastor Sargent introduced us to this, this phrase uh, that's part of the determination of it's spreading or not. Is it something you've lapsed into and just hated it? You've, you loathed it. It's just ugly and nasty and horrible and it disgusts you. Or do you just continue to leap in it because you're just letting the flesh revel in it? You love it. Is it lapsing and loathing or leaping and loving? This would be an examination of if is, is this spreading? And again, over and over and over again in these two chapters is this determination of whether or not it is spreading. Is it spreading in your life personally? Well, how does that happen? Well, the flesh is only satisfied when it gets more of said sin which means it is never satisfied. Do you find yourself saying, I can stop any time I want? That means you haven't stopped. That means you probably can't stop. And you're convincing yourself with your deceitful heart that you can just make it stop at some point. I can stop any time that I want. Probably also means you don't want to stop because sin is pleasurable for For a season, the flesh likes it. And if you say, no, I really don't want to continue in this sin, uh, sometimes you say that only because of the consequences of the sin. It's uh, the sorrow of the world as as opposed to a godly sorrow. So is it spreading? Is it something uh, that just popped into your life and disgusted you and you immediately confessed it before the Lord, he forgave you, and you just never looked back? Or is it spreading? Spreading personally, spreading effectually to those around you. Now we know that first of all, all sin is ultimately, uh, first and foremost and ultimately against a thrice holy God, really against an infinitely holy God. That's why uh, Joseph in Genesis chapter 39 in, in refusing the advances of Potiphar's wife, didn't say, I can't sin against my, uh, my owner, really. Uh, your husband, Potiphar, he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And when David was caught in his sin, as you're likely familiar in Psalm 51, is his psalm of confession, verse 4, against thee, thee only, have I sinned. And the prodigal, when he finally came to himself and repented and turned and went back to his father... In Luke chapter 15 and verse 21 said, Father, I have sinned against heaven. He said, I sinned against heaven first before he said he sinned against his father. He said, he's no more worthy to be called thy son. So our sin is first and foremost and ultimately and everything in between against the holy God. But our sin does affect others around us. Joshua chapter 7 records the sin of Achan. And... Uh, Achan's sin really affected the entire camp of of Israel in their their battles. And it certainly affected his family, his sons and his daughters, as we read about stoning and a burning with fire. Numbers chapter 12 and verse 15 records Miriam's sin affecting the entire camp of Israel. As she was dealt with when she rebelled against God and 
in uh, refusing God's selection of authority, being her brother. And the powers that be are ordained of God, we read in the New Testament, and that holds true in the Old Testament as well. And, and Miriam and her brother Aaron rebelled against God, and Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. Her sin affected those around her. How about David's sin with Bathsheba? How many different people did that affect? I mean, you could just say, again, the whole nation of Israel, as they saw the sins of their, their leader, their king, uh, come to light, certainly affected Uriah. He killed him to try and cover his sin. Affected the baby that died. Uh, David said, uh, he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing before he realized that Nathan the prophet was talking about him. Uh, fourfold, huh? The child from the adultery with Bathsheba, then son Amnon, then son Absalom, then son Adonijah. And you could say, well, they sinned and they deserve to die. A lot of this really was a spillover effect of David's sin affecting those around him. Even though, again, as he said in the psalm, against thee, the only have I, I sinned. But it affected others around him. The spreading of sin personally in your life and proliferating out to affect others around you is hard for the sinner to see internally. Though it's typically blaringly blatant to others. Uh, because secret sins are not secret. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. Psalm 90 and verse 8 records for us. And Numbers 32, 23 says, Be sure your sin will find you out. Interesting, the examination, uh, the priest shall look, the priest shall look, the priest shall look. And then the determination, is it spreading? Is it spreading? Is it spreading? And then the proclamation, the word pronounce, 20 times in these two chapters. Pronounce, pronounce. There's a pronouncement of clean or unclean. And the priest shall look on him, uh, chapter 13, verse 3, for example, and pronounce him unclean. Jump back to the beginning. Who's the priest? Well, the priest is to pronounce clean or unclean. And if you're the priest in application, you must pronounce that which is unclean, unclean. As Paul said in, back in Romans chapter 7, Oh, wretched man that I am! As opposed to, I'm pretty good compared to others. <laughs> oh, wretched man that I am, the proclamation of unclean, proclaiming it before the Lord. I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Back to Psalm 51, David had to go before the Lord and just proclaim, I am unclean against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, what is this confession? Yeah, I have sinned. Uh, forgive me, Father, for God, I have sinned. Uh, I wasn't a Catholic, but something like that. I just rattle it off. No, it's agreeing. You call this sin in my life. 
by your word. I ask you to reveal it to me. I looked in your word. Your word told me what is sin. It showed me that that sin is, is in my life. I now need to agree with you, God, based on your holy scriptures, that that which is in my life is unholy, unclean, unclean. I need to confess it to myself. I need to confess it to the Lord. Depending upon the situation, you may need to confess it to someone that you've sinned against. Private confession, a private apology, if it was a private matter between you and someone else that you've sinned against. It could be a public matter. It could be something that has defamed the name of Bible Baptist Church, the Lord's Church, with Jesus Christ as our head. And would need more of a public confession, a public apology, and we offer that opportunity and will again in about four weeks or so at the Lord's table. We offer an opportunity if, if someone has a sin that really has affected the entire church to confess it and, and apologize to the church as a whole. The proclamation, clean or unclean. And then we get to the regulation. It doesn't leave us hanging. It, it well, in the, the, the case of leprosy and in, in the application of sin in our lives, we have the regulations. Well, what, what do we do now? If, if, if we, we've examined and, we decl- and, uh, and, and determined and proclaimed, and now what do I do? Well, it's pretty clear. And again, we look at the book of Leviticus and say, that's just weird. It's Old Testament. It's, it's sacrifices. It's leprosy. It's, I'll just read through it and, and get through it. But really, it's, it's very practical as we would make application. Well, what do we do now? If there's been a, a proclamation of unclean that we've confessed, admitted to ourselves and before God. Well, there's a separation. Chapter 13, verse 45 and 46. And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. I thought... There needs to be some balance there. Someone could get the wrong idea that I'm struggling with sin. I'm battling sin. I guess the Bible's telling me I shouldn't be in church. No, no, no. On the one hand, sin-sick people go to a spiritual hospital. They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. And Jesus Christ said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. To repentance. So we come, but we come to hear the word of God that would lead us to repentance. He didn't come to call sinners just to feel bad about their sin. He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so struggling with some sin in your life, and this would be all of us at, at some point, um, Sin-sick people go to a spiritual hospital, Bible Baptist Church. But now let me balance that. There is also a misconception that a hospital patient that repeatedly refuses treatment for an infectious disease has the liberty to frequent all the wards of those patients seeking to be healed. 
Can you imagine that? We had some people that were at, at a hospital today. In fact, some of our members said, hey, we'll go fellowship at the same emergency room. And I don't mean to make light of those that uh, were sick. But it puts my mind in one particular hospital. I believe they were up at Island Hospital. Again, some of our members at, at the emergency room seeking treatment. Can you imagine if they were told they had an infectious disease? Hey, just take this pill and, and, and you'll, be, you'll be healed. And they said, well, I don't want to take that pill. I just want to go say hi to everyone else in the hospital. And they just started going to all the other beds in the ER. And then they said, oh, uh, uh, let me go find this, this other ward. Let me go into labor and delivery and, and say hello to these cute new babies. I have an inf- infectious disease. I won't do anything about it, but just let me run free in the hospital. And you're saying, that's just weird and that, that's silly. I agree. <laughs> I agree. It's weird and, and it's silly. Uh, we go to a hospital to be healed. And if we have something that can spread to others, we, we do what the doctors tell us to do. And here's our book of prescriptions. <laughs> um, we repent. We repent. In secret, uh, sins are known of God and revealed in his timing. You know, leprosy starts off internally, and then it becomes manifest externally. Uh, the symptoms of leprosy, once... If someone has it, can begin within a year, but it can go over 20 years before any of the symptoms are ever manifest. Uh, that just tells me that sin in our lives, sometimes God will reveal it like that. Sometimes it'll go year after year after year, and we'll think, aha, it is a secret sin. And God says, not so much, not so much. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men, they follow after. Students in the school think there are secret sins. But as this principle and the previous principle, and all the workers I know, the one I'm married to and other workers in this school, they've told me over and over again, be sure your sin will, will find you out. And they might not find out immediately. Principal and head of school there, probably the same thing in a, in a homeschool environment. Uh, I've heard the testimony, well, it was going on for a while, but God revealed it in his perfect timing, so it could be dealt with and and judged. And uh, that's just a little subset of the church. Wouldn't that be true in in the church as a whole, not just students in in the school uh, who grow up and then become adults and parents and have families of their own in, in the church? And when God wants something to be dealt with in the school, he reveals it. And when God wants something to be dealt with in the church, by the church as a whole, in his perfect timing, he'll reveal that. As Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and, and God revealed a whole lot of things in that church very, uh, that had to be dealt with and judged uh, across the spectrum of, of sins. You might say leprosy was just running rampant, that spiritually speaking, the church in Corinth was a leper colony. And so he said, now I have written unto you not to keep Company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. It's like we, we sometimes look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 5 and say, well, I'm not that type of sinner, so I'm good to go. But then you read the list and, and it just kind of goes and it, the net gets wider and wider. Uh, With such and one know not to eat, for what have I to do? 
Uh, to judge them also that are without, do not ye judge them that are within. And that, that judging, again, is when God reveals stuff. So there's a separating, and that passage is a point where a church would have to separate someone for a revealed sin in, in their life. Uh, drawing a loose parallel back to what's being dealt with here in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. So there's a separation, then there's a burning Verse 52 of chapter 13, He shall therefore burn that garment, whether warp or woof, in woolen or in linen, or anything of skin wherein the plague is, for it is a fretting leprosy, it shall be burnt in the fire. Verse 55, Thou shalt burn it in the fire. Verse 57, Thou shalt burn that wherein the plague is with fire. What does fire speak of? Scripturally. And I wrote down several words, so there are multiple correct answers. Cleansing, purging, judging, destroying. So practically speaking, the application is to judge and remove, really destroy, anything from your life, from your home, from your habit patterns that could keep mycobacterium leprae, or lepromatosis alive. Leprosy. Sin. Burn it. Just burn it. There, I mean, something might come to your mind right now. Just take it, smash it, burn it. Or as, as uh, Moses did with the golden calf, he ground it up into little bits and stro- strawed it, sprinkled it on the water, and he made them drink it. There's one way to get rid of something in your life. You'll never uh, worship a- again. So there's a separation, there's a burning, uh, then there's an offering or a sacrifice. Offering, 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 offering over and over and over again in this extended passage within the book of Leviticus on holiness. Offering, offering. Uh, chapter 14, for example, verses 4 through 7 speaks of an offering of two birds. Elsewhere there are offerings of lambs and, and other birds, doves and, and pigeons, I believe. Here two birds, one gets sacrificed and, and has its blood shed, the other gets let free. And so a cleansing, once declared unclean, requires the shedding of blood. Not repeated false attempts at bootstrap reformation or deceitful unbiblical justification of a sin, it requires the shedding of blood. No, not yours, the Lord Jesus Christ's. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It all goes back to that, Hebrews 9, uh, 22. And so cleansing requires the shedding of blood, but that application to sin in our lives uh, brings a cleansing that leads to a loosing and a living. The bird that was then let go to, to fly away. The living bird was set free. Uh, he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. Uh, even so, we also should walk in newness of life coming up out of the watery grave, the, the picture of, of baptism following our Lord's example. There's a separating, a burning, a, a sacrifice or offering there's certainly a washing, chapter 14 and verse 8, for example. He that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and wash himself in water that he may be clean. And after that, he shall come into the camp and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days. What are we washed with? 
We're washed by the blood of the Lamb. Revelation of Jesus Christ mentions that in chapter 1. And Ephesians chapter 5 speaks of the Lord's church being washed by the water of the word. Ephesians 5 and verse 26. So no word, no water, no water, no washing. Unclean, unclean. Wash. Separate, burn, sacrifice, offer, wash, and finally, there's an anointing. Verses 17 and 18 of chapter 14, and the the rest of the oil that is in his hand shall the priest put upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot, upon the blood of the trespass offering, and the remnant of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall pour upon the head of him that is to be cleansed. And the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord. This oil anointing points to the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit of God, this unction that we have, this anointing which ye have received of him that abideth in you, as John wrote in his first epistle in the second chapter, verse 20 and 27. And so a part of the regulating then once we've gone through all the other steps and it's unclean unclean but we want to be clean the separating burning sacrificing washing and anointing requires the holy spirit anointing of the ears what we hear our hands what we touch and how we labor our feet where we go and having beautiful feet for evangelization and our head an anointing by the holy ghost of our head, our thoughts, that which controls everything else in our body. This is required in order to be cleansed. We have this indwelling spirit at the instant of salvation, Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. And we need to yield unto that spirit. That's the eight preceding verses in Romans chapter 8, as opposed to grieving him, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Without this anointing of ears, hands, feet, and head, it's hard, nay, impossible to be cleansed. And it's certainly impossible with a seared conscience. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, not on my shelf, but at my fingertips on the World Wide Web, between the 11th and 13th centuries, Leprosy spread along the European trade routes. And leprosy came to be referred to as the living death. And often its victims were treated as if they had already died. They had funeral services for those that had leprosy. They were conducted to declare those living with the disease as dead to society. And relatives were even allowed to claim their inheritance. Wow. Uh, Certainly sin causes death. The wages of sin is death, and we know death biblically is a separation. Uh, In the area of soteriology, it separates us from God until we're saved, but it also does a separating work after we're saved. So, wow, this is pretty heavy. This is pretty depressing. This is quite a downer. Where's the hope? Where's the encouragement? Well, as I did uh, a word study of these two chapters and just looked at the repetition of the words that kept coming back over and over again, there were good words too, and encouraging words, and words of hope. Wash, 
washed, clean, cleansing, cleansed, cleansed, <laughs> clean, 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 uh, clean, cleansed, and cleansing, uh, 24, 35, through, uh, 40 at least, cleansing by the blood of the Lamb, cleansing by the washing of the Word. This is the law for all manner of plague of leprosy. What's the purpose? Not just to make us go through an exercise of reading something we kind of cringe at when we get to that part of the Bible. No, it's to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. And let me finish and conclude by, by reading a good portion of Psalm 19. Beginning at the seventh verse, I believe it ties in and really ties it much together. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. It won't get a lot of clicks when people go to our website or our YouTube page and see the law of leprosy. But that's okay. You heard it tonight, and I believe it's profitable for you if you take it and meditate on it and, and take some action on it. And may, the, may the Lord bless the preaching of his word uh, to our profiting and, and his, his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The preceding message was preached from the pulpit of Bible Baptist Church, Oak Harbor, Washington. You can find additional information about the church and our publications ministry on the web at bbcoakharbor.org. For further assistance with specific questions, please feel free to give us a call at area code 360-675-8311. Thank you for listening. Our prayer is that you received a blessing from the preaching of God's word.